Good morning. Welcome to Fur Road. I, I love every week getting up here and seeing your smiling faces. Uh, it's fun each week. There's special surprises, it seems like. Uh, people that are here that you didn't expect to be, and so there's some special surprises here this week. So, uh, Isn't it cool just to, when you come to church, you get to fellowship together? We were talking about in Sunday school, you know, there's a lot of online you know, churches you can watch and that kind of thing, but there's something different about being there, right, and, and coming together, and, and so I am so glad that you guys are here. Uh, this weekend, we had our uh, all-church retreat, The Escape, and uh, it was great. I, I just want to tell you, it, it was a smaller turnout, but our speaker, Doug Aldridge, did a great job, and, and I think everybody was here just really grew closer to each other, uh, learned a lot, grew closer to God, and so, um, you know, next year, I hope you guys can put that in your calendars, the escape. We've been doing that every year. So, okay, I'm excited to begin a new journey today through an incredible passage of Scripture. Uh, we're calling it the best sermon ever, and uh, I know this will hard be hard for you to believe, but it, it's not one of my sermons. Uh, so, I know. It's Jordan's, actually. Yeah. Best Sermon Ever by Jordan Adler. Um No, actually, the best sermon ever preached, believe it or not, came from Jesus Christ. That's a shock, right? Oh, man, I can't believe that. And so we find it in the book of Matthew. It's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And uh, we're actually going to camp out here for the next couple months because there's just so much good stuff in those three chapters. They contain many of uh, Jesus' key teachings. And, and so... Um, before we get into the first section, I'd like to take a little time to kind of set things up and, and get some background so we're kind of all on the same page. The book of Matthew is written by Matthew. is one of the disciples of Jesus, one of his 12. Uh, his profession be, before he became a follower of Jesus was what? Yeah, tax collector, right? Okay, and so he was pretty well liked by most Jews, right? Yeah, no, okay, they, they hated tax collectors. Uh, but Jesus chose Matthew to be one of the, his core group of 12 followers. And so Matthew is huge in talking about the kingdom. It's kind of the, the kingdom gospel, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in fact, the first public ministry words of Jesus that Matthew recorded came in Matthew 4.17. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, and there's that kind of kingdom language all, all throughout Matthew. Now, we, we tend to think about kingdom as kind of a physical place. This is the, the kingdom, you know, this area of land. But really, the Old Testament concept of kingdom, it's more of the realm in which uh, a king exerts control and authority. And the New Testament kind of uses that same idea. The kingdom of God is the realm over which God is in control. And so he is the king of this realm. And Matthew uses more Old Testament quotations than any other gospel, any other book, the New Testament. And that's because he's trying to paint a, a picture of God's fulfillment of the plan. So Matthew's kind of a bridge from the old to the new. And so that... Um, and before I go any farther, I want to go back even a little farther to start. There, there were two main rebellions in the Old Testament, okay? The, the first rebellion, of course, is the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, and, and the fall changed everything on this earthly kingdom that God had created. Um, 
the fall set God's plan of redemption into place. And the plan actually involved a chosen group of people, uh, descendants of Abraham, chosen by God to, to bring about a new kingdom. Uh, but they struggled a lot. In fact, they knew what was best, and so they thought the best way to uh, regain this new kingdom was to have a, an earthly king reign over their nation, just like other nations did. So remember that? Okay, they had had judges up to that time that kind of helped control things. And they, they said, hey, we want a king like everybody else. And this is in First Samuel chapter 8. And they begin to clamor for a king. And uh, here's what it says, verses 5 through 8. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you, have they, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Okay, And so as, as they have done from the, the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. So you see that there's the rejection of God once again. And then he goes on to tell him, you know, it's going to be bad to have a king. He's going to be ruthless. He's going to control them. He's going to do all these things they don't want to do. But they, they wouldn't listen. They said, no, we want a king. We want a king. Just like everybody else. And the, and the bad things happen. It happened just like God said it would. And eventually they lost their identity as a nation. Okay? They were taken into exile. They were controlled by other nations other countries and they lost who they were they lost their identity and so the goal of the jews was to to get back their identity um through the messiah so the prophets start talking about this messiah um and that, which means the chosen one and so they're looking for this chosen one uh, they thought to make things like they were before um, the prophet said the king would come from the line of david uh, they they assumed it would be a military style king who would defeat the enemy and, and uh, they had so much anger built up from all the years of being controlled and being in exile that they didn't want just a king. They wanted a king that was going to just annihilate the enemy. Uh, the, the current enemy was Rome. Okay, They, they oppressed uh, the Jewish people terribly. And so most people assumed that if Jesus was the Messiah, he would establish things the way they were when they, they first got a king. Okay, and, and they, they assumed he would do this by, you know, any means possible. But remember that so they're they're thinking things are going to be bad like that was when they were a king. But but why that was a time of rejection of God. So why would Jesus come and try to make things back like they were when they rejected God? Right. When you think about that. So Jesus came to establish something much better than an earthly kingdom. And Matthew was written to show the Jews that Jesus was the one that had been prophesied about. He was the bridge from the old to the new, but he was a different kind of king. Okay, and then another huge theme of Matthew is about establishing identity. They had lost their identity. Um, Jesus came to help them find their identity again, but, but a different kind of identity than they thought about. Um, he was a different kind of king. And not just for the Jews, but he came for everyone. And isn't that... A, what we're all trying to figure out, you know, who, who are we? Why are we here? What's our identity? And, and so two huge words for Matthew are kingdom and identity. And then another word is discipleship. Okay, so Jesus would teach and demonstrate 
what it would mean, what it would look like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Okay? And so that's where the Sermon on the Mount comes into play. And so our passage today has become known as the Beatitudes. And that comes from the Latin word beatus, which simply means blessed or blessed. Now, each of these Beatitudes starts with that word, okay? You've heard these before, blessed or blessed. And, and I've often heard this pronounced with two syllables instead of one. And so I wondered why this was. Why is it blessed? And so I did a little research this week with Brad's help. And in the Greek, the, the word is markios. And when it's used as an adjective... It's used for, with two syllables, and, and it basically means holy or consecrated. Okay, so when it's past tense, it's one syllable, like we were blessed by his presence. Okay, that's when you say blessed. Um, and so uh, blessed, it, it's, it's more than just happiness. Sometimes this people translate it as happy as this, but blessed is really more than just happiness. It's a deep sense of joy um, to those who are part of the kingdom. So you are... You are made holy, you are consecrated, you have this joy. Okay, so I, that's some background. Sorry about that, we won't do that every week, but that kind of brings us up to speed here. Uh, so let, let's look at our passage, Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. If you have them on your phones or in your, you can get it in front of you, it's up here. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Let's read that. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that's our, our passage. And there's been different ways to kind of interpret you know, what Jesus taught here. In the lens that I think we should use is that Jesus is teaching people of every age how they should live when they they abandon themselves to completely follow God's will okay so the Beatitudes they describe the values of a person who's living a kingdom lifestyle okay so that that word kingdom is going to come through a lot so Jesus in this present kingdom he's working in our inner selves to change our outward behavior okay the outward is the result of the inward so Jesus goes up on a mountainside. Okay, that's the, where the Sermon on the Mount comes in there. Okay, makes sense, right? And notice at the beginning it said, too, that he, he sits down. Okay, he goes up to the mountain, he sits down. That would be the normal teaching position of a Jewish rabbi. Um, Jesus did not go through regular Jewish rabbi school, but he would have been considered a rabbi by his followers. He was their, their leader. He was their teacher. And, and so let's go through these one at a time here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now Luke in his book has a parallel list of beatitudes in Luke chapter 6. And what's interesting here is that in Luke's list, he just says blessed are the poor. Okay, He doesn't say blessed are the, the, the poor in spirit. And I think that puts more of an emphasis on, on material possessions 
when it's just blessed are the poor. Um, when you add poor in spirit, it gives you a whole different dimension. I think it's more of a, a mindset of things. Now, remember what Matthew's background was. He was a tax collector, so he probably had money, at least at one point. Um, but it was through you know extortion of taxes from his own people for the Roman government. But sociologically, he was poor, right? Okay, he was an outcast of society. Nobody wanted to be around tax collectors except other tax collectors. And, and Jesus didn't reject them, though. And he ate with them. And, and he even invited Matthew to, to be one of his closest followers and students. And so I think this connotates a blessing on, on anyone who humbles himself enough to put God before self. And then it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we see that kingdom description there that we often are going to see in Matthew. It's all about the kingdom, being part of the right kingdom, okay? Not the Roman kingdom, not a, a broken Jewish kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven and all the other kingdoms are going to fade away. Okay, number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if, if blessed just meant happy, I, I think that would be missing the boat here. But if it's a deeper sense of joy because you're part of the kingdom, you're, you're holy and consecrated, then I think it makes more, a lot more sense. Because those who have mourned for a, a deep loss, you guys know that you, you don't feel happy right then, right? Okay, you might be happy if uh, that person was a Christian. Um, you're happy for them that they went to heaven. But your feelings at the time aren't really happy, right? Um, but why is it important to mourn? Well, it cleanses you, okay? It cleanses you to prepare you for a, a new life. You know, if it was somebody that died, it's preparing for a new life without the person who died. Tears, they bring cleansing. And, and when you're part of the kingdom, you have God's comfort, okay? There's a comfort, there's a hope there that, that others don't have. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, this one comes actually from Psalms 37.11 that says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Okay, what's it mean to be meek? Okay, that's not a word that we use a lot. Uh, to me, it sounds kind of, I don't know, weak or, or wimpy to say somebody's meek. But it, and it feels like sometimes, well, you have to be kind of weak and not stand up for, for yourself to be a Christian. But I don't think that's what meekness is at all, okay? I, I think it's a humble strength based on the Lord's strength, okay, and not, not your own strength. It's a gentle spirit, not easily provoked. One definition I found went like this. Meekness is an attitude of humble, submissive, and expectant trust in God and a loving, patient, and gentle attitude toward others. Okay, I think meekness, it's a quiet strength. It, if, if I was renaming the word, which they didn't ask me to do, but if I, if I was renaming it, I would rename it Mong, because that sounds like strong, and meek sounds like weak. So, uh, so uh, blessed are the Mong, <laughs> for they will inherit the earth. You think it'll catch on? Probably not, right? Yeah. Um, it says they will inherit the earth. You know, God has, has blessings in store for the meek. They, they do not go unnoticed by God. They, they may not get a lot of worldly recognition, but God sees them and knows them. Tom Landry, some of you will remember, he's the, 
the former coach of the, the Dallas Cowboys, and, and, and I think this is a man who showed meekness during his life. He didn't say a lot. He wasn't the kind of coach that's going up the sidelines, yelling at the refs, yelling at his players. Um, and he always had his suit on with his, his hat, fedora hat. And the uh, thing is, he, he succeeded. Okay, he took them to five Super Bowl appearances, went winning two of them. But he had a, a quiet strength to his life. And Tom told interviewers after his fifth and final Super Bowl appearance in 1979 that he believed his destiny always had been controlled by a power greater than the Cowboys' ability to win football games. As a Christian, I know my life is in God's hands. And then he said, he, he has a plan for me. Therefore, I, I never worry about tomorrow or never worry about winning or losing football games. That knowledge gives me a lot of composure in tough situations. So that, that's good stuff, isn't it? And, and that's when I started being a Cowboys fan was during the, the Tom Landry era. And uh, now I can't get them out of my system, even though sometimes I want to. It's like, mm, why do they do dumb stuff all the time? But it's in my blood or something. I don't know. Um, so, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay, here we have a, a hunger for, for justice, a hunger for uh, what is right and, and for doing the right thing. And here's the thing, I, I don't think you can have a true hunger and thirst for righteousness if you already consider yourself good. Okay, if you already think I, I've got it all, I, I've arrived, then it's tough. The, the Pharisees uh, often boasted about their, their righteousness. Okay, they 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 puffed their chests out and and wanted people to notice. Look at me, this is how good I am. And and Luke speaks about this in in chapter eighteen, verse nine through fourteen. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see the difference there? Ex exaltation from God comes through humility, not, not through boasting or bragging. It says God will fill you up. Number five, blessed are the, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay, being merciful, it's, it's having an attitude of, of compassion and, and care and, and uh, kind of willing to forgive. And, and, and Jesus would illustrate this trait in his life, in, in ministry. And, and he expected this from his followers, right? Yeah, to, to be a part of the kingdom meant to be merciful. In, in the last passage I read, the tax collector said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and he was. He was shown mercy. Okay, God shows us what this looks like. And, and, and it, it's because of God's mercy, really, that, that we can even have eternal life. We don't deserve it. 
And so when we have an attitude of mercy, of, of, of compassion, of com, con, uh, forgiveness, in turn, God's going to show us mercy. And that, that's what kingdom people do. And most of us can handle it pretty well when the stakes aren't too high. But what if the stakes get really high as far as showing mercy? Can we still do that? Several years ago, there was a, a story in the Los Angeles Times under the headline, Couple Meet, Forgive Slayer of Daughter. And the story was about a father and a mother from Dearborn, Michigan, whose 20-year-old daughter had been brutally murdered. They traveled to the prison where their daughter's convicted killer was being held. And, and the mother said some amazing words. Listen to this. She said, we love this special person from the bottom of our hearts. We harbor no hatred, no revenge. We, we had the normal human reaction of grief and anguish. Didn't I have the right to be filled with red-hot hate? But where would it have gotten me? It wouldn't have gotten me my daughter back. God led us on this journey. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Can, can you imagine? I don't know this, this couple is an incredible example of what it looks like to usher in the kingdom of god to show mercy and only god knows the impact that those two have had on the kingdom because of that willingness to show mercy blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy and then blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god notice this doesn't say blessed are the perfect hearts Right? It, it says pure in heart. In the heart, of course, it's symbolic of, of uh, the, you know, the center of our being, our, uh, the, who we are, our mind, our, our will, our, our emotions. And, and I don't know, this is kind of the beatitude of self-examination. Okay? That no one else really knows except God whether we are, are pure in heart or not. Uh, the person with, with, with a pure heart has no ulterior motives or purposes. He he does what he does for the reason that he gives he helps people just to help people or, or whatever it might be not to to get recognition kind of like most politicians these days right it's just pure in heart uh, no. actually god only knows right if it's pure heart or not we we think we know but sometimes we probably don't but a true kingdom worker does everything out of a desire to serve and follow the true King Jesus. Um, in the old system of law, it seemed like it was a very outward action-based system. You know, do this or, or don't do this, and, and then you'll be right with God. Follow this list of rules, commands, you'll be right with God. Um, I don't think that's ever really what God in, intended to be the case. The, the rules and, and regulations, they were actually there to help the people. It helped them define actually how to follow God. It actually gave them identity a, as a nation. I mean, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is kind of, I think, shedding light on this, what, what it really is meant. Uh, it's not just outward actions that matter, it's, but it's inward thoughts and motives. And that's why he used so hard on the Pharisees. You know, it was all about outward to them, but inside their hearts were, were hard and, and calloused. Jesus said this about them in Matthew 23, 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. And, that, and that's the beginning of a, a chapter, a discourse, where he just scalds them. 
uh, in verse 28 of that same chapter, he said, On the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Here Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think it's interesting, uh, some of the connections from the, the old to the new here. The book of Matthew as I said, it was meant to be a bridge from the old to the new. Uh, it's meant to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah that they were waiting for. Um, but in the, in the book, there's a lot of um, connections, comparisons to the old. In fact, I think the whole Sermon on the Mount has a lot of comparisons to Moses when he went up on the mountain to receive the commands, the law from God. Um, and the people weren't allowed to directly see God. And even Moses could not directly see God. But here it says that we can see God. And, and how's it come? How do we see God? Through what? Pure heart. Pure heart. That, and this would have been a huge declaration to them. To be able to, to see God, that would be hard for them to even comprehend. What, what are you talking about? And then number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Or some uh, translation, sons of God. I think this one's easy to, to misunderstand. It, it's easy to hide behind this one because we, we just want peace sometimes. Um, but notice it doesn't say blessed are those who desire peace, but blessed are those who make peace, the peacemakers. Sometimes you have to, to take some difficult steps in order to make peace, right? It may mean confrontation, which I don't like very much. Uh, you know, most of us don't may mean hard conversations. It, it might mean somebody gets mad at you because you're taking the difficult steps of, of really getting to the core of the issue. There's a 26-foot-high statue of Jesus that stands high in the Andes Mountains along an important path between Argentina and Chile. Um, Jesus holds a cross in his left hand while raising his right hand in, in appeal to, to travelers passing by. And so this statue is a symbol of peace. You see, many years ago, the two nations, they nearly went to war over a dispute. Uh, armed conflict was averted when leaders of both nations recalled what Christ had done for them. Can you imagine this is, this is what they, how they decided this? And this led the nations to melt down their bronze cannons and cast them a statue of Christ. And they inscribed these words on the base of the statue. Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than Argentines and Chileans break the peace to which they have pledged themselves at the feet of Christ the Redeemer. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? How's God calling you to, to be a, a peacemaker at home or, or at work or on your athletic team or uh, whatever it might be in your family at school? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And, and what a, an amazing thing that, that is, right? To be called a child of God. You know, some of you may not have had the, the greatest situation uh, growing up at home. Maybe your parents didn't get along or, or your dad wasn't around much at all. And, and so this is a hard concept to even fathom. But, but everyone who is part of the kingdom of God has the, the, the opportunity to be called a child of God. And I think that's pretty awesome. And then we have, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, there's kingdom again. 
Jesus knew that the time was coming when his followers were going to face very real persecution. He knew that he himself would be persecuted to the point of death. And Jesus is beginning to prepare them for that time. And he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is the reward for staying strong in God. Okay, in, fact, in fact, verses 11 and 12, they're basically follow-up verses to this last beatitude. Let me read those again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, that's a tough reaction to have, but Jesus is saying rejoice. And here's the thing. You remember, Jesus would experience all of these things during the last week of his life here on this earth. Here's the deal. The, the rewards of being on God's team are incredible. But Jesus never promised that it would be easy. Kingdom work is difficult. It's difficult. In his kingdom, it's a different kingdom than, than the, the Jews were expecting and, and even hoping for. But many would begin to realize that, that he was ushering in a kingdom that is different. It's a kingdom that would last forever. But it would be hard. And your lives are going to be hard. It's not always easy. But earthly kingdoms fade. You look at the dominant powers throughout history, and they come and go. People think the United States were this dominant thing. It would always be this way. That's not what history shows us, right? The, the Roman Empire that dominated the landscape in the first century, that, it would not last forever. But Jesus is inviting everyone to be a part of a kingdom that will never fade. It will, it will last forever. So he's saying that in the Beatitudes, this, this is what you need to do. This is what it looks like to fully experience the kingdom of God. Not later. It's not all a future thing. It's now. And I hope you're all ready to experience that, that kingdom. Both now and forever. There's nothing else that, that even compares to it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, sometimes we think about kingdom and it just sounds like something way out there, a Bible word or something. And, and I pray that we, we can uh, have a desire to, to fully be a part of, of your kingdom and experience that and know what that looks like, but also realize that, that it's uh, it's not always easy. It can be very difficult. It can be a struggle. Father, I pray that there, there's somebody here today that just feels like, man, I, uh, my faith doesn't feel real to me. I don't feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I pray that it will become real to them, that they can take the steps that they need to to fully experience your kingdom. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.